uh, pastor in the northwest, and we reckon in the north in the northwest that we have the best regional leader in Kevin Pete. But I've been assured that in the east and the west metropolitan region, there's somebody who might just pip into the post or even be equal. And tonight, it's our joy to welcome David Campbell to come and speak. We love him. We welcome him. Come on, David. Thank you, John. What you find is um, when you're the best, you don't have to really talk about it. Thank <laughs> you. I'm going to try and be serious tonight, but th that was it. <laughs> it's good being here when we were doing when we were doing the action. Remember when we were doing the actions? Do you like that? I'm watching Kev, who's my best friend. Well, he was. <laughs> and so if you turn the music down and watch watch some of these, it's like an old folks' home going. <laughs> Everybody. Kevin kept looking for matron. Take me to my. It was great. That's great. Um, I like to read from the Bible. I actually, I always say to all our pastors, when you're preaching, you should always read from the Bible when you preach. Always at the beginning, because that way, at least you know something you said was inspired. So, we may peak right now. But I want to read from Luke chapter 4, and uh, verse 16. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun tonight, but I think God really wants to do something special amongst us. We always think that, otherwise we wouldn't come. But, but, and, and sometimes, if you're not careful, it becomes hype, you know, this will change your life, all that stuff. But God is moving in a significant way in our nation. And something new is beginning to stir in the hearts of men and women. I don't really know what it is, but we know it's not bad. Do you know what I mean? There's not a scary feel, but there's a, there's a, a, a rising sense of, of expectation that God is doing something. And I'm just going to make sure we don't miss out on it. Please yourself. Right. <laughs> So Luke 4, verse 16. So Jesus came to Nazareth. I read from the born-again King James Version. <laughs> I love what John Scott said when he came here for all those under 30. You might want to know the Bible's now available in printed form. <laughs> this is one of them. Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, the book of the prophet Isaiah did not look like this. It looked like a roll of wallpaper. And being like that, he said, okay. And, 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 he, and he says, and when he opened the book, he found the place. He went, <laughs> and if you know your Bible, it's Isaiah 61, but it wouldn't be called that then. So it was almost to the end. Because he was looking for something. And if he had something specific to say to every individual there, I'm going to tell you there's something in tonight's sermon somewhere that's specific just for you. Please keep listening because it's probably towards the end, the same as Jesus's. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled 
in your hearing. Amen. God bless the reading of his word to us. That's great. Well, if you're from Elam Global and you're with the folks, I have to say to you, um, I'm not English. You may, you may struggle. This is, this is a, an accent. It's not an impediment. This is an accent. And in Scotland, where I come from, excuse me, tribalism and jealousy together don't go well. In Scotland, where I come from, everybody speaks like this. And when you get to heaven, you will speak like this too. <laughs> I have to do a little thing I remember. One of the things which our region does, we have a, a camp called River Camp, and, and I wanted to say to all the pastors, in your program, a little look, we'd, we'd like to invite to come free for a day and just find out if you like it or not. And uh, for, for, I can't believe it. Sometimes I think I'm adopted. <laughs> but anyway, you can come for free. Have a little look at that. We'd love you to come. And uh, if you're from another camp, stay at that. So you can still come for nothing and not come back again. There's a guilt box at the front. I'd like you to do that. And as I say, I'm from Scotland, and that's uh, we are Celts. And one of the, the earliest Christianity we had in, in the United Kingdom was Celtic Christianity, which many people are going back to and thinking about the way that is happening. And in fact, the early Celts were quite different the way they organized. They, they had centers of, 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 of learning, and, 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 but their, their priests would, would, would come and they'd, they'd stay in, in the, the Celtic uh, places and they'd go out as missions. They would go out. The, the Roman model later was, was that they, they all stayed in and everyone had to come to them. I want to tell you, the original format of Christianity in Britain was missional, not attractional. We have to take the gospel outside the buildings. We have to go out there. I believe that, and I'm hesitant to say this because I think that I, I don't like hype, and I'm quite averse to it, but I do believe there's the beginning of a move of God, and the next move of God in this nation has souls attached to it. I believe there's a harvest which God wants. I think music is extremely important, what's going to happen in this next move of God. We're going to have to watch our worship, but, but there's something that God is doing, and we have to have that thing of getting ready for the harvest. And one of the things that the Celts used to say was that, that heaven and earth were very close. We, we lived in sort of two realities. And, and what they said was that heaven was like just a, three feet above your head. Which didn't mean if you stood on a chair, you could put your head into heaven and see if what was there. That's, that, what they meant was it just felt as if it was, it was almost within reach for you could come up and touch the glory and bring it down. But, but it was just too far. And they talked about this and they said... But some places, it felt as if the gap was thinner. And they talked about thin places. It's not a biblical doctrine, it's not in the Bible. Open heavens is the closest you get to the understanding of it. But it's called a thin place. And I believe God wants to set up thin places. I believe God wants us to be a people who can reach up into heaven and bring his presence down to earth. It's Bill Johnson that said, well, I think it was either Bill Johnson or me, He said he didn't say it, but I think, I thought, I'm sure he was having said it. He said that most Christians have faith to believe they're going to heaven when they die. But God is looking for a people who will bring heaven to earth when we're still alive. We have to be the people who are able to reach into the glory and bring his presence down and transform earth. Because Christianity, we have begun eternal life. You don't begin it in heaven, you started it now. It gets better in heaven. You get a new body. I'm looking forward to it. I think I was once abducted by aliens and they gave me back the wrong one. I don't actually remember this happening to me, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to get into my sermon because Christopher can ask me to speak something that's very dear to my heart, but... Do you, like pre do you not like preachers who are always name-dropping? 
Um, I had lunch with the Archbishop of Canterbury recently. <laughs> Not dropped his name. Justin Welby. <laughs> Just. And that's actually John Glass asked me to go to a couple of years ago. <laughs> to represent Elam. Because he said uh, there's, there was a meeting with all the leaders of, the deno of denominations. And obviously, he's the leader of the Anglicans, the leader of the Methodists who are going to be there, the Baptists, and uh, the other Pentecostals, the Methylated Pentecost, everybody who was there was going to be there. And Joseph said to me, could you go? Because he couldn't go, he was going somewhere else. And uh, <clears throat> I thought, yes, it's in Lambeth Palace, it's a lunch. I mean, that's two of my favorite words, palace and lunch. <laughs> I thought, I could go that. I mean, I look after London, I'm responsible for London, I could do that. I could, I could, and then I could drive there. They gave me a ticket to park there. I thought, I'm going to, drive. I'm going to be able to park for free in London. I mean, that's like your birthday. <laughs> and they didn't tow me away. It's just a glorious thing to happen to. So I was great. I'm going <clears> to <throat> take my time going in. And when I got there, they were all sitting with tables around. We're going to have tables. We're going to have lunch. And that Bishop of Cantry was, was late. Imagine being late for a meeting in your own house. And I'd sort of had a good time in my car because, you know, I spent a lot of time in my car. And I thought God said something to me. I thought, that's good. And um, slow down or I'm leaving, he said. Uh, <laughs> they didn't. That's not true. <laughs> and I was just getting, I was just standing there and sort of uh, <coughs> chatting to people and waiting for them to, to come. And they said, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start the meal. And the Archbishop very sorry he's held up in traffic. And, and I said, well, you understand that in London, so he'll be along later, and he'll speak. He said at the beginning, he'll speak at the end. That's fine. I was just standing there, and he came in. And he came straight up to me, because and the truth is, I'm very hard to miss. <laughs> I think that's the main thing, really. I'm a big man in Elam. <laughs> and although having said that, I was in the supermarket recently. You know, you're queuing up. And this little old lady who, you know, is probably not much older than me, but, but she's, this little old, she just pushed in front of me. And I just looked at people behind me like. And she turned and she said to me, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. <laughs> so in Morrison's, I bent down and kissed her. I said, thank you. That's the nicest thing anyone said about me for such a long time. Thank you very much. But he saw me. And he came and chatted away to me. And then we found out we had lots of friends. You know, my folks know his folks and stuff like that. And I have to say, in all seriousness, I found our Archbishop of Canterbury to be a very godly man. A man that's born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks in tongues every day. And we should pray for him. I think, you know, some of the challenges we have are nothing compared to the challenges he has. And, uh, we should, and I, I just would honor him. Actually, when we had our centenary in London, he, he did a little video just to, to, to commend the work of Elam uh, worldwide. So I'm a centenary, I'm a, <laughs> and it comes to the point where we've, we've had our dinner, and uh, when we sat down, I sat here, and he says, where are you sitting, David? I'm sitting here. And he said, do you mind if I sit next to you? I said, at your house. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you're late. Maybe you have to sit in the naughty boy corner. I don't know, but otherwise you can come sit beside me. So we sat together. And there's, nobody, there's nobody next to him. There are no chairs. And so we had 40 minutes just chatting away. And that was great. That was great. And then just before, we, as we finished, Des at the front said, now, okay, now in your groups, um, we want you to share the vision of your denomination for the next five years. <laughs> okay. And I'm trying to go back, I can't say with John, but I'm trying to go back over the conversation with John. Did he say, you'll need to share the vision of Elam for the next five years? And I'm thinking, palace, 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 lunch, palace, lunch, palace, lunch, palace. Vision? I don't remember vision. I don't. I'm on the NLT, I should know vision. Building bigger people, I just thought, no, we just had lunch, we can't say that. That's, that's, that seems wrong. 
someone said, well, I mean, this, this is why, this is the real reason I brought that. I mean, I want you to know I know the Archbishop of Canterbury. That's the first reason. The second reason was what I, I said to him, because on the way in, I felt God dropped this phrase into my heart. But God wants us to love the great commission and the great compassion. And I said, I think, Elon, we're called to the great commission and the great compassion. And he said, oh, I like that. Okay. <laughs> it's not John Glass said that, I said that, just so you know, if you ever want to quote somebody. He's good, but that's mine. And then he said to me, I might pinch that. I thought, you what? <laughs> so anyway, he got up to speak. And he said, thank you all for coming. I'm sorry I was late. And he said, I was really still somebody at our table. Somebody. It's nice to be somebody, isn't it? <laughs> so soon forgotten. Somebody at our table said that the church is called to the great commission and the great compassion. And I thought, well, that did not take you long at all, did it? So when you see the next document of strategy from the Anglican Church coming out, saying the Great Commission, the Great Compassion, we had it first. <laughs> In fact, I was so thrilled about it, I thought, God's told me something. I've got this, and I killed everyone with the Great Commission, and then I made a mistake. I Googled it. Thousands of people have done it before. I mean, I'm not talking like one or two, just pages and pages. People have written books on the Great Commission and the Great Compassion. Some people have added the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. I said, no, that's, that's not right. But anyway, I want to talk to you about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Because I believe that's what we're called to do. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. But we cannot, the gospel is more than the preaching, it's the reaching. We have to go up with two hands to hug people and bring them into the kingdom of God. And I want to talk to you about the Great Commission. I think I'm qualified. I'm not actually an evangelist. I just love Jesus and I love people. And I think even if you're not very good at it, you, you can, I think there's a change in our nation where people are ready to listen they have not had a bad experience of church. They've had no experience of church. And so almost sometimes we, we have this belief, people are anti-Christian, anti-Christian. No, they're not. They're actually desperate for somebody to tell them with certainty about the truth that will set them free. And Apostle Paul said, Chris began to mention it last night about, in, in, in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to the Jews first and to the Gentiles. We, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm going to tell you, I think the gospel is under attack. If, forgive me, I might just be paranoid, but as I say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. But it does seem to me that everyone's allowed to have their opinion except the church. It seems to me that whatever religion you belong to, you can say what you like. But once you start saying, this is what the Bible says, this is what the truth that sets you free, you say, you're a bigoted, hate-filled Christian. I say, There's a paradox. How can you be a hate-filled Christian? No, you cannot be. I, this gospel I'm not ashamed of. We have to. We're going to have to stand up for the gospel. We're going to have to proclaim it. Because actually, I'm not sure people even know what it is they're saying we, they don't agree with. I was talking to somebody just recently. He said, I don't, two things I said. His friend said, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. I said, funny enough, I don't think God believes in atheists. But we, we should maybe go a bit further than that. And I said, what, what sort of God do you not believe in? He told me, I don't believe in a God who kills babies and, and disasters. And the, I said, you know, I think I'm an atheist. Because I don't believe in that God either. <laughs> but I'd like to tell you about the God I do believe in. And his friend said, well, yeah, but what about God? There's all this bad stuff in the world and all this. I said, you know, you're nearly Christian. Which took him by surprise. I said, I'll tell you why. Because if you think, if evil in the world causes you a problem, then I'm going to tell you a couple of things. Number one, you must believe in God. Because if there's no God, there's no problem. You've only got a problem because you believe in God. 
Number two, you must believe God is a good God. Because if God's a bad God, then evil's not a problem. And three, you must believe God is all-powerful. Because if God's not all power, he can't change anything. Do you know you're nearly a Christian? You believe in a good, all-powerful God. The next step is to bow your knee and accept Jesus. So that's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. We have to do that. Sometimes when we say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, we think, I am. No, you're not. I'm sometimes ashamed of me. I've never been ashamed of the gospel. I think, because this gospel is the power, it works. I don't know how it works. I don't know how closing your eyes and talking to the unseen God, saying words that are sometimes not correct, you get them the wrong way around. You, but you're, you're a different person, the whole world has changed. I do know if we, can, if we can bring people to encounter the living God, the whole world's going to be different. Their world, our world, everything's going to be different. Somebody said to me, um, problem with you Christians Whenever somebody starts a sentence with the problem with you Christians, you sort of got a hint there it's not going to go well. <laughs> problem with you Christians. What was the problem I was creating? It's a friend. It's the problem with you Christians. You think you're right and everybody else is wrong. I said, I don't know what I mean. What do you mean by that? So you say, you say Jesus is the only way. You say that if we don't believe in Jesus, we're all going to hell, and that's it. You just think you're right and we're all wrong. You just say Jesus, 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 or nothing. Now, I'm going, to say that, I'm going to say a couple of things tonight that you must let me finish the next sentence before you throw me out. <laughs> and I said to this person, it's not true. I did not say Jesus is the only way. I did not say that. In fact, our church didn't say that. I mean, why would I say Jesus is the only way? I can't even find Harrogate without a sat nav. <laughs> I'm not really sure where we are. I didn't say that. I didn't say, Elam, we didn't say Jesus is the only way. However, he said that. Yeah. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Now he, he is the eternal Son of God. He's the one that there when they breathed the stars into being through the dust of the, of the planets of billions of galaxies into, into nothingness and created everything out of nothing. He's the one who holds all creation in his hand who came born of a virgin in the obscurity of a stable with, 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 with cobwebs as a curtain with, with, with straw as a, as, a, as a carpet who lived a perfect sinless life died naked on a cross for me was buried for three days rose again and says, I am he that liveth, that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Now he said that. <laughs> Tell me again your qualification for saying he's wrong. Another one, my friends. If you're politically correct, please, we won't get on tonight. Just forgive me now. I think PC stands for personal computer. And I've got one of them at home, it's a 666 megahertz. <laughs> I'll tell you what I think about them. And my friend, he said to me, you see I'm lost because of my lifestyle. They may live with someone of the same gender. They may live out of wedlock with somebody else. They may have liver. I, I am, you just look down at me, you, you think, I'm lost because of my lifestyle. I said to this friend, it's worse than that. <laughs> it's worse than that. You're not lost because of your lifestyle. In fact, I'd almost suggest to you your lifestyle might just be because you're lost. Even Mother Teresa needed a savior. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't go to hell because we don't receive Jesus. Jesus came to save us because we were all bound for a lost eternity. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That's the gospel. People aren't rejected from their lifestyle. They are saved from a lost eternity. 
We have to rediscover what the gospel is. But said Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And one of the things which, which I think people find hard to believe and understand is how much different Christian love is to the rest of the world. See, agape love is unconditional. We can actually love people who do things that we don't approve of. We can accept people who do things of whom of which we do not approve. Though a lot of in the world, and specific groups that we're going to, but you guess who I might be meaning, it's almost to say, unless you approve of what I do, then you are rejecting me. So, sorry, you've got a small view of love. Even within our families, we will have people who maybe live a lifestyle we're not particularly happy with. We don't approve of what they're doing, but we do love them to bits. I'm not ashamed of this gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God is the salvation. This loves the unlovely. This loves the people who don't even love or like themselves. This loves people who are convinced that we hate them, and we don't. The hate language, I don't find it in the mouth of the church. I find it in the mouth of those who are speaking about us. And we have to come against it with an opposite spirit. We have to tell them about the love that will set them free. I, I'm nervous about this, this next point. I'm going to do it anyway because we have to realize there's no forbidden areas in the harvest field. And Jesus said, he'd come in Luke 19, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus also said that he only does what he sees the Father do. And we continue the ministry of Jesus. So if I can give you sort of four boxes to think about, and we can just sort of see how we go with it. It's almost like, so here's a thought. Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. Okay? Second box. We continue the ministry of Jesus. Third box. There's a group, and some folks in our country and around the world, who we cannot see the hardest group to preach the gospel to. It feels as if they're not willing to, repeat, to receive anything which, we, anything which we say. It feels as if sometimes they wear clothes that you can only see their, their eyes. In some of the countries, in some of the countries, you will be killed if you try to preach the gospel to them. And we've lost some people. Because it's just, well, what can we do? We'll just have to leave them. Jesus did what he saw the Father do. We continue the ministry of Jesus. There's this group of people we don't know how to reach. And then there's this funny little box. And we hear stories about Villages in the middle of Islamic countries where somebody says, I had a dream last night. Can't tell you who. A man in white came. Really? I had a dream too. His name was Jesus. I mean, hearing these stories, so many of them, anecdotal, but now some of the people who are here have those, those stories to tell us. And whole villages of people we cannot get to speak to are having visions of Jesus. And they're being saved. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. I've got stories of some of the pastors here can say to you in London where there are people walk into the church and this one lady, she, she came and said, I had a dream of a man in white who came to me and I've spoke to my imam and he says, that sounds like Jesus but we don't know about Jesus here and he sent them to the Elam church up the road to find out who this Jesus was. Can I just say, just, I don't need to say this, but say just, I've never met a Muslim that I didn't like. I met a few Christians, but I'm not going now. <laughs> Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. We continue the ministry of Jesus. There's this group of people we cannot reach. And then there's, who's doing this? Is it the devil? Do you think it's the Father? 
Do you think maybe we should be beginning to have faith for the unreachable group? Do you think maybe we should say, listen, there's nobody can say this gospel will not work because we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. I believe that we are going to see a harvest amongst that community in our country because the Father is already beginning to work and we need a strategy to reach the unreached people group on our doorstep. We have to do what we see the Father doing. Because I am not ashamed of the gospel. Wouldn't it be great to have countries that are close to the gospel suddenly opened up? Can you remember, some of you might be my age, and no, maybe not. I remember when I was growing up, the big thing was communism. And we used to smuggle Bibles into Russia. Not me, personally, I was five or six. <laughs> they smuggled Bibles in. And there's always, in fact, I can remember, so they used to say that we're going to be a nuclear war. And, 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 and you know, the children in some places were being taught, if a nuclear bomb comes over, you hide under your desk, which was very helpful. <laughs> it made them feel like they're doing something. And it's almost communism's coming, communism's coming, communism. And then I remember sitting watching on television because communism stood up against the church and tried to destroy us. And the Bible says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And it tried to wipe out the church in Russia. And sudden, suddenly, the wall is coming down. I'm just going to very gently, it's not the whole thing I want to say, any weapon formed against his church will not prosper. Any force, be it a religion, be it a, a, a government, be it anything that stands against the gospel will fall. Just like communism fell, so will anything that stands against the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. But also, I uh, am aware too that but to reach out with compassion it's General Booth that said, and he's been quoted already today, that um, you can't preach the gospel to a, man, to a man with an empty stomach. And I think it's the man that has the empty stomach, not, not you. <laughs> it took me a few years to realize that. I was getting that wrong. I was just, so I'm going to do some evangelism. It's like, you know, it says in the body, says that it should buffet your body. I thought it said buffet your body. <laughs> and I've just been struggling all these years. It just shows you how easy it is to make a mistake. <laughs> it's not enough just to be fired up to go and preach the gospel. It leaves you heartless. You have to be moved with compassion. Jesus was often moved with compassion. You know that word, that word that's talked about everything inside you just, just gets you, doesn't it? I don't, when, I, I, can't, I can't watch things on TV that have injustice in it. It really upsets me. I just really upset injustice. If anyone harms a child, I cry. I can't cope with it. I can't, I have compassion. So I just go visit people in the hospital and they'd be, at the end of the ward, I'd speak to every person on the way up and I'd be like, oh, well, oh you're not well, are you? I got the next person. By the time I got to visit the person who came to see, I'd say, a lot of sick people in here, you know. I feel terrible. I need to go pray for them all. Jesus had compassion over crowds. He saw thousands who had neglected proper preparation for a day out. That's what I'd be going. So, well, what do you come for when you bring your dinner then? You're fasting then, aren't you? <laughs> Seems obvious. But Jesus didn't. He had compassion on them. He was moved from deep within and said to his disciples, You go feed them. <laughs> and they would have named, you know, he sees a, a poor woman who's lost her husband and then lost her only son. He just has compassion. and and you, you, you've got a, a corpse and the Prince of Life on the same street. Something's going to have to move. And Jesus said, it won't be me. I'm the resurrection, the life. It just takes a little boy. He's moved with compassion towards him. 
When the lepers came, he had compassion on the ten and he healed them all, even though he knew only one of them was going to say thank you. His mum had brought him up properly. <laughs> she didn't do it for the thanks, she did it because he was moved with compassion. See, compassion is not, compassion is an action word. You, you can't, feeling sorry for somebody, you can see it. You can watch TV, feel sorry for people, cry, and then flip over and watch Coronation Street. <laughs> you can. And one of the things I love about our Elam churches, and I don't think the metropolitan region is any different to the rest of Elam, but nearly every church is involved in having a food bank. Many have CAP, Christian Against Poverty, just great work done by these folks. Many, many people do that. And often when I visit a church, I'll turn up in the day of the food bank and I'll see what's happening. And I love it. And usually the majority of people are really happy. I know our church had always been there and sort of people are happy. There's always one going, oh, do you know, it was late, five minutes late opening. I'm in a hurry. Can you hurry up? And I, because I'm a lovely, spirit-filled, Christian-type person, I'm thinking, excuse me, I don't say, this is what I say inside. Tact is the unspoken part of a conversation. I think, people... People in our church giving this food, you ungrateful. <laughs> Sling your hook. But when I go over, the love of Christ constrains me. I go, oh, don't worry, it won't be long. 99.9% .9 people are very happy. But however, there's, there's some people you'll never find in the food bank. It's not because they don't need it. It's because life has so humiliated them and humbled them. They will never come and ask for help. They see this as charity because life has been cruel to them and they will not be humiliated by asking for food. But we don't have pity on people. Pity puts people down. Compassion lifts people up. See, compassion means calm means with. And passion, passion means passion, but calm. <laughs> passion is love on fire. Passion is love, it says, get out your seat and do something. Jesus has sent me. When I when we do food banks, we're, we're saying to people, Jesus has sent me because he loves you and he values you. I've come because I've been set by him with that great compassion. And uh, do you know in Acts 2, Pentecost is launched, and there's a, the, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon the people with a great commission. Acts chapter 3, the first act of the church is an act of compassion. Peter and John go up in the time of prayer. They're on the way to a prayer meeting. I, always, I, like, I like the Bible, you know. I love reading the Bible. I actually laugh when I read the Bible. It's just the way I am. I find everything funny. I just do. I just, it's just the way I'm wired. I may be, uh, may be ill. I don't know. <laughs> Some people say, to those that think your life's a comedy, to those that feel life's a tragedy. But if those that think life's a comedy, I must be an intellectual, because I find life hilarious. <laughs> I really do. But Peter and John end up, they're just two different people. I mean, Peter is the married man. He's probably the same apostle of the 12. And he's old, he's got his own business. He's got a wife. I mean, know oh, that... Um, you know that once his mother-in-law was very ill and Jesus healed her. So we know he was married. Forgive me saying this, but I, I can't find any record of Jesus ever being thanked by Peter for doing that. <laughs> it's just an observation. I'm not trying to make any point. <laughs> just a thought. But he's the action man. He, is, he speaks before he thinks. And, they, and they sort of, Jesus changed his names and called him Rocky. He's like the first Rocky movie. He's actually Rocky. And then there's John. John who lay and put his chest, his head on Jesus' chest. Soppy. <laughs> I'm sorry when you're from Clydeside. That's, that's soppy. Rocky and soppy. <laughs> Go to church together. Can I tell you, in the gospel, we find ourselves working and sitting beside and worshipping with people we have 
would never have met, ever except we've been made one in Christ Jesus. It's a glorious gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It brings people together. I better watch what I'm saying, but... Because I notice, one of the things I notice, I think it's quite fun, really. Because I think, I don't think Peter and John got on that well, if I was really honest, because he probably would annoy them. You know, look at them again. But can you imagine when, after the resurrection, when everyone was writing their gospels and doing stuff, Peter's talking to John. Now, do you know there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, yes? I really hope you know this. Now, John's gospel was written by someone called um, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yes? Can I ask you a question? Who was that? So John wrote about the disciple who Jesus loved. Right, yeah. Can you imagine you're talking about your family and it says, I, I'm the one that my mummy loved. So imagine Peter getting the first sort of a little thing this. Oh, John, see, you've written a. <laughs> All right. Oh, see. So this, uh, the disciple who Jesus loved, uh, that'd be you, John. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I found my name. I found my name. I'm in there. John, do you know nobody else put in about me swearing to that little girl? <laughs> do you know, have you spoke to Matthew back and look? None of them put that in. And I see you put here that uh, the woman came and told us Jesus was raised from the dead and you and me and the disciple who Jesus loved up be you again, John, yeah? <laughs> yeah? We ran. We ran to the... To, I see you put in there, you got there first then, Johnny. <laughs> I see that's sad. <laughs> Sometimes there's too much detail, John. I'm not sure you have to be doing all that. So. <laughs> but Peter and John, they've just become a, a powerful combination because they've been with Jesus. And when you've been with Jesus, you're never the same again. And they come out of a powerful time of being filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit. They want to preach the gospel. And they come as they're going to church. There, as they, there's a man who Jesus must have walked past dozens of times. Somebody laughing there is going to get me. It's just, I didn't know my mother was here. Somebody. He says, he's been, he's been begging arms for 40. You know the stories, but, but they, they come to go in and they say, I always think it's funny, this man's begging for arms when he wanted legs, but that's just the way it was. <laughs> he said he'd never walked from his mother's womb, he's never walked in his life. And as they walk, Peter and John say to him, Look on us. And he looks at them and think. Silver and gold have I none. Nothing changed there. <laughs> but such as I have given unto thee, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they reached out his right hand, picked him up, and as he stood, the man's bone strength came into his legs. And he stood and he walked, and he went into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Let me go through that with you. Two minutes. Yeah, I think. Sorry. We do sign language, it says you're boring them, get off. It's hard sneaking on. Now, just the first thing is this beggar, he's not looking up because beggars don't look you in the eye. It's a bit like if you're on the town in an evening and you see a big group of lads, you don't get eye contact, you keep away. Beggars would not look him in the eye because it says, I'm not, I'm not worthy. Who am I to look you in the eye? And he's like that. And they say, No. Look on us. 
I'm not pitying you. I'm not doing something to make me feel better. I have been sent with compassion. I've been sent by the king to you. And I refuse to treat you as a national insurance number. I refuse to treat you as a number in the food bank. I refuse to just treat you as a non-person. But the gospel gives people back their dignity. It gives them back their identity. And he says, look into my, look at my eyes. There's something, it's not in the Bible, but almost when you look into somebody, have you had that expression that the eyes are the windows to the soul? And I just could look and, and I don't know what he saw, but the Bible didn't tell us, but when he looked in, he just sees there's acceptance there. He's never been accepted. It's almost like he's been dealt with as a person. I think oh, there's love, there's acceptance. When you reach out with compassion, you reach out with love and acceptance. And then he reached out with his right hand. Now, I think you all know it's important he didn't do it with his left hand. Some of you come from countries you know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> but in case you don't, well, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> Let me just put it this way. No toilet paper. The left hand was for things that were unclean. If you went to a stall and a man gave you something in the left hand, you go, no, we'll not have that. Sometimes masters would pick something up and give it to his servant with his left hand, which is unclean, just to say, I'm the boss of you. It's to put them down. Peter and John, they don't reach out with their left hand. They take their right hand. The same hand they would reach out if the king of kings came into their presence. The same hand he reached out to every dignity across the land. And he said, I'm not only just treating you as an individual. I'm treating you, I'm going to treat you as royalty. I'm going to give not just your dignity that you felt you never had, but I'm going to give you dignity you don't deserve. I'm going to reach out, and it, and it pulls him up, and he, just strength comes into his legs. Now, you're going to find this bit hard to believe, but I'm a grandfather. Five times over. There's going to be another offering. But... <laughs> But when you've got grandchildren, you seem to have more time to study them. When your children were growing up, you're too busy to know something else. But now I, I multitask because we've got twins. And I have to look after both of them at the same time. That is multitasking. <laughs> one time they both ran out the room. One went that way, one went that way. I thought, whose life do I save? <laughs> I'm not sure. But I noticed when they began, it took quite a long time. And, it, and, and nowadays, it's on Facebook, it's on Snap, I don't know what you can call them all, but they're, sort of, uh, they're everywhere, and you see them. And it's just, it's just standard. And the like, oh. third time she's fallen down today, you know, I don't, she's not going to make it, get in a wheelchair. She's not going to make it. But actually, then they stand up, and we all clap, yeah, and then they fall down again. But, and then they toddle, like that. And one of my grandchildren, she was about two, said to me, Granddad, look, I can jump. I said, go on then. And she went. I said, just do that again. She went. And her feet didn't come off the ground. And I thought, well, how do you tell a two-year-old you can't jump? Because apparently it's one of these developmental stages. And it's quite hard to jump with both feet off. I've got a bad back, I can't get it off. And also there's more of me to get up than most people have got me. This man has never walked in his life. This man has never toddled. He's never stood because he could never walk from his mother's womb. All life's opportunities have passed him by. He's lost 40 years of his life. And when two men representing the church, and this is, I'm finishing now, stay with me representing you and me, filled with the Holy Ghost, committed to taking the gospel to the four ends of the earth, coming with the great commission, see a need, overflow with a great compassion. When they reach out, 40 years are gone in a moment, and he stands up, and strength comes into his legs, and he goes walking and leaping and praising God, because just one touch from the king changes everything. Now I believe that God has called us to the great commission and the great compassion. 
Some of us will find it easier to do the Great Commission part. Others of us will find it easier to do the Great Compassion, but the bus must both be done. But in a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something. So it's a symbolism. I don't think... I don't... Can we stand, please? In a moment, I want us to raise our hands to heaven. And if it works for you, if it doesn't work for you to feel silly, just don't do it. Watch other people. I'd like us to raise our hands and say, Father, would you make this a thin place? Would you help us, Lord? Because we want to, we want to, God, please let the king come back to the United Kingdom. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Do not pass us by, but come again. Let the great commit, let Elam be known for the great commission and the great compassion. Let the gospel be sounded in every street in our nation and the nations we represent. Let the gospel go out with a mighty tidal wave. Let the compassion of Jesus hug the unlovely. But God, I want to reach into the heavens. And I pray, God, would you let me bring the glory down? Let it bring your presence. Let us have faith, not just to believe that we're going to heaven when we die. Oh, Father in heaven, by your mercy, might we bring heaven to earth when we're still alive. Let heaven come to earth, we pray. Let heaven come to earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Send your power and your glory.